Welcome to the Love Cars on the Grid podcast, your global motorsport roundup with me, Tiffany Dell and Paul Woodman. Welcome to Love Cars on the Grid, your global motorsport podcast roundup. This week, we're going to have a look starting the USA uh, with IMSA, and we're going to have a look all around the world. Well, two locations, but it's quite exciting locations with a uh, roundup of uh, BSV at Brands Hatch. We're going to also look at the Indonesian GP, and then we're going to end up back in the USA <laughs> with NASCAR, Tiff's favourite. And full it's getting circle. exciting there. It's getting oh, full very circle. exciting down to, the, down to the wire again. <laughs> uh, but we're going to start off with the news. There's loads of going on in oh, the no. sport. There's a... I quite like the story. I, I, I'm a bit disappointed, I'll be honest. The story about Nigel Mansell selling all of his memorabilia oh, and stuff. No. Like, but what do you do? I mean, I would have thought that he would want to keep it or give it to his children. I guess there's only so much you can do. But Well, one do? of the rumours is he's a bit short, had a couple of bad um, business investments. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, he's heading, I think, to Florida. I think he wants to end up in America. So I think he's, he's shutting down all his, which does he, Jersey or Guernsey, wherever he is, Channel Island stuff and closing his museum. I think he's moved. Moving lock, stock, and barrel—that's what I've heard through the grapevine to, to America to live. Because um, I mean, he sold his Williams and his Ferrari. I mean, he let those two go for about three million each, um, and he's picked up a couple of million now for all his overalls and crash helmets and stuff, um, which is great because it's justified to my wife. I do keep all that junk in the attic because I'm sure it's going to be worth at least uh, two hundred quid in about ten years' time. I was talking about Le Mans boots and Le Mans overalls and crash helmets. So anyone out there wants to get a bid in early, um, you know, <laughs> 200 quid should cover the lot. Um, so he just seems to be selling up lock, stock and barrel. I mean, it's great for fans of his that can grab a bit of his history and um, wear their overalls. I don't know what they do with these caps and stuff. That Most of them look quite new suits, like just a replica hats. But the, the few, I think, that had provenance and actually the overalls he wore at the British Grand Prix. I mean, that's, you know, always good for enthusiasts. So... Yep, so Nigel, that was one of I mean, most amusing news. The news was amusing all out. You know, we talk millions, millions everywhere. Uh, because, of course, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie's had to cough up. Oh, it's not a lot, really. Um, admitted guilty of uh, the, the fact that he, he forgot that he had £400 million <laughs> stashed in Singapore. <laughs> and because he's admitted guilty to forgetting and forgetting to mention uh, in a tax inquisition that um, he's had to cough up £600 million of tax with, oh, from the last 18 years. Yeah, it's the fact that he has obviously got £600 million to, to, to pay, but to good old Bernie. Oh, I love Bernie. God, he's about 92 now. He is 92. And, um, it's incredible because his birthday is... Two decades after you, within give or take a, yeah, a, yeah. a couple of days, and Derek's is a decade after you. Ten years, yeah. Off. So it's yeah, both all Octobers. Me, Derek, and then Bernie. But I've always enjoyed Bernie. I mean, he's come out with some ridiculous statements over the time. He's he's always just thrown rocks into a pond to see where the waves went. And uh, fair play to him. He says so, it how it is. You know, he doesn't. Yeah, think, I know. When you're a multi-billionaire um, and you, I guess you you can afford to say things how they are a little bit. But uh, ninety-two years of age and having to pay up cough up your kid's inheritance. Where I'm sure they'll do all right. So that's Bernie. What else have you got in the news? I've got, I got a little well, the bit The Be- Belgian Grand Prix, whoop, whoop, they've given a one-year extension. As they signed Qatar for 10 years, because the money is there. Poor old Belgium hasn't got much money. That, actually, that circuit and that race was actually owned by Bernie's wife for a while, um, Mrs Eccleston the first or second, not the current one. Um, 
So uh, I'm not sure who owns Bell, but obviously they haven't got the money. But I have given Spa one year. So he's got two more years of Spa guaranteed. Um, what have you got next? Well, nothing really. I did I did have a little laugh at uh, Jade Edwards, who we're a big fan of, and Abby Eaton, big fan of her as well. They were they were a little bit tongue-in-cheek about Ollie Beerman's uh, testing. Well, not testing, his going Ooh, to yeah. They were a little, sarky, little sarky, bit sarky, sarky, weren't they? Yeah. Because uh, what were his lap times comparatively to, of course, oh, their no. very good friend, um, uh, Jess, um, what, Jessica, oh, crikey. I've got your disease. Jessica Hawkins. 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 Oh, sorry, yeah. Jess. Yeah. I know. Because I'm a big fan of Jess as well. But um, look, I, I, yeah, I, I hate to burst anyone's bubble because we are massive fans of Jess, Jade, Abby, all the girls out there. Uh, but Ollie Beerman is a different... He's, he's, he's a different... Just level, the, the, I know, it's a different... I think the boys were saying, you know, she only got the drive because she's a girl. And so they're trying to say we only got the drive because she's a boy. And I don't know. I didn't really read much of it. Was it, it was a bit of handbags. I don't um, know. Not, probably not allowed to say that anymore because that sounds really No, can't say that, I know. <laughs> and more for Alpine. Alpine have quietly... This anti-Andretti from FOM because Alpine have suddenly said, oh, by the way, that promised to give Alpine engines, that deal ran out last January that Andretti had in their original proposals that they had they had Alpine engines lined up. Uh, and Alpine are quick. No, they haven't. Then it's, this battle between FIA and, and FOM is, is growing and growing because the FIA now have come out and said they will have an engine because Rule 56BC... Focus do says that the, the the bottom two engine suppliers have to uh, give an engine to any new team. So um, I'm going to cough. I'm going to cough. I'm going to cough. I need to cough. Where's my microphone? I can't cough. I've muted him. So, I, ladies, gentlemen, and whatever else from wherever, can I put you back on now? Yes. So, oh, ask to unmute. Oh, you've got to unmute. <laughs> well, that is that. What? There we go. He's unmuted. Right. I had to cough. So I was saying yes. So so um. Alpino said that they're not going to give engines to Andretti. And the FIA have now bounced back and said, well, the rules say that someone has to. The, the two manufacturers of the least number of engines on the grid have to offer engines to a, a new team. So that's been handbags going on. We've had the Lewis crossing the road is going to be re-looked re, uh, at by the FIA because uh, they've decided that was more serious than they thought at first. Um, they gave him a $50,000 fine for crossing the road after he crashed at Turn 1 in uh, Qatar, which, of course, is about five quid to him. So five quid for crossing the road probably doesn't really make much difference. But yeah, but everyone's now pointing out they're picking on Lewis because uh, uh, Logan Sargent, of course, walked across the track in Japan after he crashed in qualifying and he didn't get a big fine. So uh, anyway, they're always trying to make a fuss. So that's more Formula 1 fuss. But it's not. And then it's, not the heat. It's, it's not picking on Lewis. It's just. It's. Know, it's just the I way. Know, it's, just, the, it's just the way it goes. Just reading a bit of Twitter and, rubbish that goes round. And, and, and if you're worried about Lewis being able to afford it, which I'm sure the the team pay anyway, uh, in yeah. terms of um, highest paid drivers, Lewis is second to Max. So Max apparently salary, yeah. not all endorsement stuff, fifty five million dollars a year. Lewis thirty five million, and then most of the others are sort of twenty ten eight. So. Uh, He's so, got a few quid, yeah. He got fined five pounds for crossing the road <laughs> in his money. And then the heat, the whole Qatar heat oh. exhaustion, that story rumbles on and on because everyone's saying, you know, come. Um, uh, Fernando Alonso come, said we have, we'd have to delay the start of a race if it's too hot. But, God, it's bad enough delaying starts for rain and TV schedules and us wanting to watch. Now, how long are you going to wait for the heat? So... And, you know, we've bounced back and I've said, well, they have to have cool suits so they have to sort out air tubes, cooled air tubes that I've had when I was racing in the past, you know. But, of course, that has weight. And so the engineers of Formula 1 hate it. 
Um, but then Jensen Button's come in with an interesting angle because uh, he almost had to retire from his NASCAR race at Circuit of Americas when he got too heat, was overheated, and hadn't got the cooling in his car sorted. And so he points out, really, heat is the one thing, but the other issue is G-forces. And a few other people have said, well, of course, Qatar has got, you know, it's a big G track, so you've not only got the heat, you've got it combined with the G-forces. So I sort of say, well, as long as you get rid of the heat, then they're trained to handle the G-forces. But apparently it's an excessive G-course. There's a combination of, so one of the most G-force tracks uh, and the heat. So I'm now quickly adding in, well, if that's the case, that gives uh, the FIA permission to say your circuit is too dangerous to drive on because it's got too many corners. So it'll finally give me a, a safety reason. Because, you know, uh, it's a flipping, what's his name, Tilka track. And Tilka's, I think Tilka hates any straight lines. If you look sort of circuit map, there's a straight line longer than half an inch on his map. You know, it's got to have a squiggle <laughs> in it. Because, of course, some of those, you know, Qatar corners, it was just a straight between turn six and turn ten that he's put swerves in. So, of course, the driver's got G-force left, G-force right. There's no overtaking. There's no skill. They're just sitting under G-force for no reason at all. So if, as Button says, you know, it's the G-force as well, well, then let's go over all the tracks where I can get lots of rulers out and go from turn six to ten, miss out all that stupid bit. It, it, it would save the G-force, therefore this exhaustion problem. They, they think we can't live with exhaustion. It's dangerous to live with exhaustion, not just heat, it's G-force. Um, let's just cut a few corners and that will give a straight and maybe an overtaking opportunity, perhaps, might I dare suggest. Um, so lots all kicking off. Heat, exhaustion. What's so the heat's been with us for ages. I mean, I've, I've, I've suffered my own heat story, which the public oh, not, might not Please, not the wish buttons to know. one. Well, well, please, not the buttons well, one. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I've told it before, but 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 yes, the Buttings one, um, because Heat's been with racing drivers since you know the day day it was born, and uh, I was racing a brand new Toyota factory Group C car around uh, uh, Fuji, and um, we hardly tested the car before the race, uh, and it was a very low Group C car and as normal. Many of my racing career with single seaters, I end up sitting on the floors of cars and then have the seat around my back because you're so tall. Yeah, yeah. So this was typical. I was, I was I was bolted to the to the aluminium floor of this Group C car, tight as my my belt's very tight as all racing drivers do. Um, but we hadn't done many laps of the car in testing, and we qualified quite well. But I was at the first hour of the race, first stint, and after about twenty minutes, what's oh, getting hot? Hot in this car? <laughs> yeah. And in particular, my bottom was getting very hot. So Alonso was complaining about his seat getting hot. Now this wasn't the seat; this was the floor of the car. Uh, and gradually the heat just grew and grew and grew as the stint went on. It was about a 50 degree, about 40 degree temperature outside anyway, and about 70 inside. So I, I adopted the racing driver's favourite tactic at this stage. That you always, when you finish a lap, you then say, say to yourself, well, if I managed to finish, no, I couldn't move. There was, my belts were really <clears> tight. You know, you say, well, I've, I've finished this lap. You know, can I do one more? Yes, I can. of course you can, Tiff. So I did one more. And then you finish that one more lap. You've got 20 to go. If I'd done one more, I could do one more. But the pain was increasing rapidly. But incredibly luckily, one of the uh, a rear rear wheel, the whole rim broke, coming through the very fast, flat out, almost flat out final corner on the old Fuji layout, magnificent fast corner. Um, so the rear left wheel departed company, sent me spinning into the barrier. And never have been happier in my life to retire <laughs> from a race.
because <laughs> I undid the belts, leapt out of the car. I was, it was badly damaged, but I wasn't I wasn't injured. Ran across the track, being fined fifty thousand pounds if I'd been Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> so I knew the medical centre was just opposite the exit of the last corner, right where I crashed. So I clambered over the barriers into the medical centre and leapt onto the couch with all the Japanese girls laughing away as I ripped my suit off and exposed <laughs> oh. my my very pink buttocks. <laughs> um, and it turned out that it was a brand new aluminium monocoque, rear engine, group C car, with an aluminium radiator to the front, aluminium piping from the radiator to the front to the edge of the back, which then clamped to the aluminium monocoque with aluminium brackets. So there was no... no um, sealant between the, the heat of the water and, and the monocoque. So the monocoque was gradually getting up to the temperature of the water, which is like 70 or 80 degrees. Uh, hence, I've been sitting on a frying pan and uh, had first-degree burns on my buttocks. Well, thanks it, for sharing that. I'm sure it, 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 it was a, viewers a very, very to long that story. trip home on the aeroplane, all the way from Japan, back so, to so, to, to, to try and get. So try and get that image out of our heads. Uh, yes. I, I was just going to ask you, you were complaining about Qatar, uh, the circuit. What is the best racing circuit on the Formula One calendar of the year? Where, where, where well, tell, well, um, a lot of the older, the natural flowing circuits, you know, which haven't been mucked about with too many chicanes, but Sao Paulo, Brazil, I mean, that's always a great track. There's always good racing there. Um, I'd have to go, I'm not quite sure if I'd go back through them all. Silverstone? You caught me up. Yeah, Silverstone. But no, Silverstone again. Oh, it's all DRS. There's too many yeah. corners. When, when that redesign came, I was so... The original redesign as a BIDC member who owned Silverstone Circuit, we saw the first draft and it went round the final corner, club corner, where we now have the garages, and then went straight all the way to the club straight and then did a hairpin left to begin the drive down to Brooklyn's and the, the BIDC complex. So I thought, brilliant, really long straight, hairpin at the end of it. And um, also, the, when you have the longer straights, like some circuits, you, you have a lower downforce setup which helps less G-force in the corners because it's quicker to have less drag, so you have a, a faster car. Um, and then, of course, when it came out with the final product, there was a squiggly bit and two hairpins you know, at five corners where there weren't any. So um, I don't know where else. Where is the good racing? It's very hard if I can't. You've caught me out. Spa? But certainly. Yeah, Spa is usually pretty good. You have to have at least two overtaking opportunities per lap. This is what, what you're really looking for. I mean, Qatar, mm. most of the Tilka tracks. Yeah. It's just the one straight, and yeah. then you've got to wait. So if you haven't done the overtake, you then sit beside someone for the rest of the lap. Um, so you need this sort of, you know, a third of the circuit, which ends in a long straight before a corner, then another third, which ends in a long straight before a corner. So at least you have two or three times a lap to overtake. I mean, Monza's got it, but then the chicanes are horrible. Or, um, or smaller cars, because... You know, well, yeah, in, know in the... proper racing, there's so many more opportunities to... When I say proper racing, I mean, sorry, uh, like Caterham or Ford car or... or well, yeah. There's so many more opportunities to... Because yeah. the cars are that much smaller. And, well, and you the, can... the weight, weight, the braking. The braking power is so good. You're heavyweight, but, you know, incredibly short braking distances and, you know, two-metre-long, three-metre-long cars. How long are they? Four metres, aren't they? Five metres. Five metre-long. Unbelievable. The same... same presence of size as a Rolls-Royce fans. Yeah, the Rolls-Royce. Um, what else you got in the news? Anything else or should we move on? No, to that was all. So, yeah, the, the, the Formula One, the heat story rolls on, crossing roads. I'll tell you what the... else it was. Bit of bit of gossip this weekend, this week, sorry, about uh, Perez as well. Uh, he's got to be on his way out. Oh, yes. He's got to be on his way out. Uh, people <laughs> well, they're they're encouraging him to retire. That's the latest thing. Yeah, there's a lot of journalists now saying the only way out of this, Checo, is to retire gracefully. Otherwise, you're going to get sacked. Either retire 
Also, there's a bit of a press as well. That's the other news. There was more news. I've got it written down here because um, a lot of journalists are saying, well, hold on a minute, Mr. Stroll. If you're being serious that Aston Martin is going to be a world championship, you know, Vine team, I'm as famous as Stroll, you have to sack Mr. Stroll. Um, and pressure is coming, I think, very much on the Stroll family that you can't p- keep on pretending that he's got a, a serious race team uh, when the boy is still in a seat. So, yeah, you know, there's quite a lot of gossip going on. So, anyway. Perez, Perez is probably not going to be here at uh, the end of the season. And and Christian Horner, hey, uh, he's he kept Sturm as always, but he did say some nice words about... Um, uh, Liam Lawson as well so as you would because yeah. Liam's done incredibly well so uh, hopefully hopefully he will get a seat well he may well do maybe I don't know which which would you say I think if Perez keeps falling apart I think is it going to Ricardo in with um, Verstappen and Lawson with Alfa Tauri or would he put Lawson straight against Verstappen you reckon Ricardo against Ricardo. 100% because Verstappen knows he's absolutely got him on toast as well. Yeah. And Red Bull, everybody loves Ricardo. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but he but he will be exposed. He will be exposed big time yeah. uh, if he's up against Verstappen. But um, there you go. News from around the world. And let's go to USA IMSA. Where was IMSA? Where it was that? Uh, the- yeah, it's fabulous. It's Putty Le Mans, the Road Atlanta uh, track. One of the probably the second best road course in the world after Road America. Um, a wonderful flowing, dipping track and uh, this famous Putty Le Mans, the 10-hour race that starts at about midday and ends at 10pm. Has It ends at about two hours of darkness uh, at the end of the race. Um, watch on IMSA on the t- IMSA.com. You have the whole race and great commentary. We've got Jeremy Shaw, the English journalist, lives in America now, really good, knowledgeable journalist. Of course, alongside him, the the graceful tones of the Macam, don't call him a Geordie, uh, Hindhoff, John Hindhoff, who um, sounds just like a, a Geordie to me. But, oh, I didn't say that, John, honest. Great commentary. You know, they've got so much knowledge and they, they let the race go. Um, but it's it's becoming a bit of a show too much. We saw it at Le Mans this year because Americans always had this realign everybody in class order. And the Daytona 24-hour races, you know, always you end up with a, a sprint for half an hour. And they're talking about this road at Atlanta IMSA being a nine-and-a-half-hour qualifying session to get yourself in position for a half-hour sprint, because every yellow flag, it goes full course yellow, everybody pits, and then you get realigned in your class order at the front. So you've got the GTP cars, then your LMP2 cars, LMP3 cars. And they did this at Le Mans. It takes 20 or 25 minutes um, for everybody to get reassembled. But the point is that there's no point in grafting out a 10-second lead, because you know the first time is a full course yellow, the yep. bloke that you've just worked so hard to get a 10-second lead for is now behind you, and off which, you go again. Which, as you said, so, happened in Le Mans all the time. Yeah, every, yeah. Every... only this, this year they did it for the first time. They've copied yep. the American system. And I really don't think... Because the idea before was if it's a full-course yellow, then you have to make that decision. If you pit now, yep. you know you're going to come out the back of a crocodile. So, you know, oh, there's a gamble there. But I think because once or twice... A, you know, a car got a, a lapsed lead accidentally because unfortunately the pace car came out just at the wrong moment. One car gets given a one lap lead, and then the race is over. But that didn't um, that didn't happen all that often, in my knowledge. Was now you know nobody can work a lead. You can go for nine and a half hours of grafting away in an endurance race, but then with half an hour to go, you look behind you, and the, the five cars are on your gearbox. 
So I'm not a fan of that system. They've gone too far. It works in NASCAR and IndyCar where they're you know, short races and they refuel. And I just don't think it works um, with the sports car. They need to have that endurance element to them. But it's still a spectacle. I mean, you know, when so, you see so, so what, what, what do you think should happen then? Do you think just to, to go back to how... how same as it used to be, yeah. yeah. When a safety car comes out, you know, they try to get the leader. Um, and they wave past cars they've accidentally pinched. So they try to some, a few wave bys. Then once the crocodile's going, you open the pit lane, and then it's your choice if you pit or not. And if you if you're a prototype and twenty GTs don't pit, you'll come out behind twenty GTs. Yeah. Um. You know, that's that's the way of the world that it always used to be. So I'm not a fan of what they're doing there. But as I said, you know, you know great. Cause these new sports cars are spectacular. I love them. There's be more of them. I, lo I love them. Uh, Porsches and Cadillacs and Acuras, um, but it was it was a spectacular. So there wasn't that. But it was in the end the controversy all came about an hour and a half at the end of the race, a big uh, big moment because um, the battle for the championship was between the um, was the Cadillac which um, Pippo Durrani was driving at the time was battling with Philippe Albuquerque in the Acura, and they were dicing with these the two that were going for the championship title. And I think they dice for a second. I thought they dice for the lead. I read a report they were anyway. Whatever. It was just after a restart, and Albuquerque was trying to get by Durrani, which would have meant the championship turning in their favour. Um, and and Durrani got held up down the straight before turn one, which is a very very fast right hand uphill that leads to a left hand over a crest. Wonderful corner. Um, and Albuquerque tried to go around the outside. He actually got his nose ahead. And now we're into that new zone where you have to leave room for a car on the outside. But then if you're on the inside and you brake as late as possible, you might not be able to pull it any tighter. Because um, in the end, I think it was a slight touch and Albuquerque got shouldered, went off this in the dark as well and had a big shunt into the barrier. I think he, he hurt his leg or something a little bit. Um, so that put them out of the race. That was the end of the, the challenge from the Acura. Um, and Pipo Durrani went on to win the championship uh, along with Alexander Sims, the British driver, and another British driver, Jack Aitken, was also there. So good news for the Brits that Durrani gave them a bit of nudge. Um, but the stewards looked at it and said, no, you know, it was a racing incident, and I think they were right to say that. But um, we are getting a bit obsessed with this. You have to leave room on the outside when sometimes you just can't do it. Mm. But on whether Pepe Durrani, Pippo Durrani, Brazilian... So that was a sort of the drama at the end. But shouldn't shouldn't you always be in control of your car? Well, yeah, I suppose Durrani could have lifted off a bit and pulled tighter. I mean, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, Albuquerque was fractionally ahead. So I, I actually agree this time that Durrani should have maybe been given a, a penalty because um, always hard to judge. It's a, it's a tough one. And no, two, no two situations are the same. You know, it, it's, no. it is a tough one. But I, I agree. Stewards sound like they got it right on that one. Yeah. But in the end, the race was run by another Acura, which of course is Honda to us. Honda. Uh, Tom Blomquist, British driver, was one of the one of the three winners. That was good news from Britain. Other British drivers, Harry Tinkner was third in a Porsche. Some bloke called Jensen Button was fifth in a in a Porsche. Um, but the championship, as I said, went to Durrani and Sims um, and Jack Cake, and their car finished sixth in the end. So spectacular, but slightly annoying with all those pace cars. But always, I mean, you could turn on the telly for half an hour, and it was just brilliant to watch, you know, because yeah. there's so much overtaking. That, that's one good thing about just, it. If you, if you don't watch the whole thing and yeah. you only turn the TV on now yeah. and again, you just yeah. see loads of racing, like wheel to wheel yeah. racing, which is great commentary, very informative commentary, which is what you need. Even even though Macam John, when he gets shouty a bit, he's still it, there's a way of shouting without it being annoying. You know what I mean? It's not just a 
The MotoGP boys are great because suddenly went mental at the weekend. The start, no, it wasn't a pretty superbike. Suddenly went mental for the last corner. Up to gear. You know, sometimes there's commentators, they comment, and then they just think it's time to go like, to volume 11. I like to think that my shouting is uh, not annoying, Tiff, because I do get a bit excited sometimes. You just swear when you get excited. You just swear all the time. <laughs> That, anyway, shows my, that shows my um, brain. I've got no vocabulary. I've a got... couple of other notes from uh, Road Atlanta. As I said, entertaining every time you watch. It ended with a car on fire because they, they had a restart with about three laps to go. And everyone was just going mental, banging into each other, trying to get another place. Uh, but Ben Hanley was part of the British drive. Ben Hanley, part of the LMP2 winning team. And on our promoter women platform, a real star that I hadn't heard of. She worked She's with the Iron Dames in Lambeau. A young 19-year-old, Dorian Pan, um, she won the Ferrari Challenge Europe a couple of years. I think it was last year, winning like 10 of the 14 races. Um, and she was in a Lamborghini, Iron Dame's, Dame's Lamborghini, was leading outright, leading all those GT superstar young lads, boys, men, Brilliant. all of them outright. And the car got into some problems, they were pitted and they fell back and I think the car had some troubles. So guess her in a single-seater. I think she did a Formula 3 test a couple of years ago, but... Um, Obviously, a real talent as a as a driver, but at the moment doing GTs. I don't know who the third is, but Sarah Bovey, I know she's fast as well. Yes, the Iron Dames trio. And this, this, yeah, yeah. The, Iron Dames are doing a fantastic job for for women in, in motorsport, but um, we need that woman in a Grand Prix car, a single seater. And talking of women winning, Vicky Piria, our own Vicky, uh, had a class win um, in her Porsche GT3. She's racing in the um, Italian GT Championship. Uh, they had a class with them, ninth overall out of the 20 cars on the track. So still good position. And she says that Porsche 993 with Kiko Galbiati. So ciao, Vicky. Congratulations. <laughs> with Kiko, Kiko, eh? Kiko, Kiko. Um, so she won her class. So that was good stuff. Good. So that let's, was the GT news. Let's go to two wheels. Let's go to Indonesia. Oh, what a wonderful! So now we're in, we're now in my world. So it was, it was Saturday night until <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. Was 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 keeping in touch with uh, Road Atlanta. Then almost as soon as that ended, um, if you wanted to stay awake, it was over down to Indonesia, where during early hours of Sunday morning, the MotoGP teams were all racing, welcoming back Susie Perry, who's uh, been off ill for about three or four races. We missed her for so it was wonderful to see Susie back and smiling and. And again, talking of commentary teams, I mean, her and Neil Hodgson, Neil's brilliant at the sort of the expert analysis and the commentary team is also, you know, really on top and good. It's a wonderful presentation. Great. So when the information comes on with a bit of jokey, you know, funny, they have banter with each other and that's what you need. They know, um, Tiff, they know it inside out. Uh, they know it yeah. absolutely. They've been doing it they so know. They're not things. just presenters or commentators. They're yeah. sports lovers. They yeah. love their sports. And that's what Murray Walker was so good at. You know, Murray Walker, his history of his motorsport behind him made him. And, of course, Murray's, would have been, what is it, his 100th 100. birthday would have been. A, yeah, yeah, would have been a 100, yeah. bless him. I was sure he's going to make a 100. I was convinced. Um, but the MotoGP, yeah, great stories uh, right the way through. Because, of course, we've got this, this um, season where Jorge Martin, the Spaniard has been catching hand over fist at his private Premac Ducati, catching the, the factory bike of um, Peco Bagnaia. Uh, and he shot through to win the sprint race, which was on the day before the Saturday, which put him actually the lead of the championship for the first time. So Jorge Martin just dominating the bike world. Um, he only qualified sixth and Peco Bagnaia was 11th. Uh, the Indonesian track was very tricky. I think there's some rain showers and... The problem was it was very dusty and dirty. There was a very narrow line. And if you went off the line, you're on dust and a very green track. 
So it was a very tricky circuit. Um, in the sprint race, he, he they, they say, as I said, uh, he won. If you chase it home by the two more satellite Ducatis, the Valentino Rossi's pairing of Luca Marini, who was on pole position, and Marco Bezzecchi, who uh, came from ninth on the grid in the sprint race to finish third, having broken his collarbone one week earlier, had an operation on his collarbone, I think on the Monday or Tuesday, woke up on like Wednesday morning and said, oh, yeah, it's not too bad, and decided he would fly to Indonesia. And when he got to Indonesia on the Thursday, he thought, yeah, maybe I'll ride the bike a little bit. And um, took it easy in qualifying, came from ninth to finish. Hang on a minute. Third. Whoa, 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 you're missing out something. He didn't take it easy in qualifying because in FP1... He he had a big crash. He skidded all along the floor. Well, yeah, and that, I forgot about that. He did fall off as well. Because yeah, he made his... a great statement. He said, "As soon as I was sliding, I burnt my ass trying not to hit my arm." <laughs> That's two burnt he... bottoms in one show. We're talking what about he, now. What is he made of to be doing that? Oh, I know. Oh, no. Gravy. Anyway, so um, fourth and fifth of the sprint race for Maverick Vinales, a prelia. And then uh, Fabio Quattararo was having a good weekend for Yamaha, former world champion, whereas Mark Marquez, the other former world champion superstar, um, who's suffering with his Honda, he's dreaming with Ducati. Now he's signed for a, a satellite Ducati next year. Uh, he crashed his Honda in the sprint race and he crashed his Honda in the main race, the Grand Prix. So poor old Mark, I just hope he doesn't injure himself again before he gets on a Ducati. So now to the Grand Prix, which is on the early in the hours of Sunday morning. And Jorge Martin, they said he had a new start device on his Ducati. I don't know, I understand why he did and others didn't as well. But he just launched from sixth into the lead at the first corner. Just, just, they're like drag bikes. I was talking, I was talking to someone at Goodwood, one of the bike boys, and he says it lowers the ride height by yeah. about four inches. And they're just like Hicks a, told us that as well from BSB. Yeah. So he was then out leading, thinking, well, this is it, this dominant, this amazing comeback. He's just going to walk to the title now. And he dropped it. Out front, dropped it. Um, there was a bit of a build-up to all this because uh, the tyres were overheating badly. The track was really hot. And um, who are the tyre people? It's a uh, French mob, isn't it? Michelin? Michelin? Michelin, Michelin. Yeah, Michelin. Um, they actually came out with a warning to all riders, do not use the soft tyre in the race. Um, it was that bad. And, of course, it's a base of bikes. They've got a soft, a medium, and a hard. And they can have either of the three, any of the three on the front and any of the three on the back. So you have soft fronts, hard backs, hard fronts. I think Basecki had, uh, Bagnaia had hards all round. Others had a soft front and a medium rear. So they're all riding on a bit of a tentative, how hard do we push early on um, because of this tyre situation? You don't want your tyres to disappear on you. Uh, and Martin said that he just, he ran a bit wide on a previous corner and he thinks he then got a bit of dirt, a little bit of dust on his front tyre, went to turn into the next turn, boof, down he goes. Championship leader, race leader, we talk about this every time on bikes, and down he went. So he was out of the race. It shows how much they're on the edge, doesn't it? I know, it's just incredible. But I mean, there were, I think, seven out of the 21 riders, or six crashed out, so six people also went, well, five others went down. On a, in um, a dry, dry race, this is not a wet yeah, race, dry by race. the way. Yeah. I know. Uh, Martini, who was, um, who was on pole position, Marini, I mean, was hit by Brad Binder and he actually pulled into the pits for a tyre. So he didn't actually fall. Uh, Binder got penalised for that attack. Um, so they were falling like flies. Uh, but then ended up was a fantastic... Then it became one of the best Grand Prix we've had for a while. It came down to three riders all go for the lead. 
because um, it was uh, Vinales was leading and it was a brilliant, and then uh, Bangnaya, oh, I can't remember Bangnaya, yes, Bangnaya, then came through to take the lead. He was on hard tyres all round. Meanwhile, Fabio Quattararo, they had the soft tyre on the front. I'm pretty sure I saw the graphics, I haven't got this wrong, uh, because they said, don't use the soft tyre, it won't last the race. He caught Vinales. We had these three bikes for the last four or five laps just at it. No one overtook anyone. They don't have to to make it a good race. Uh, they crossed the line, all covered by about half a second. Um, Bagnaio goes back into the championship. Um, it was just really good racing and spectacular to watch, as always. So did you know... So the battle goes on. Do, do you know this stat, which I find quite amazing? This is not my stat. It's motorsport.com. Uh Peko Banaya is the first rider to win a dry MotoGP race from outside the front four rows for over 18 years, 17 years. 20, what? Yeah, first time. Because he was 11th on the grid, wasn't he? Yeah. 13th, I think. I think he was 13th. But, uh, oh, was yeah, he? P13 to P1. And he's the first time ever from uh, outside the front 10 yeah. that someone's won since 2006 on a dry race, in a dry race. Yeah. He's, he's that was quite a ride. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're brilliant. I love I love those boys. Uh, and I love the BSB boys as well, where we're heading next to brand. Well, Moto2, you just catch up oh, with more, more news, well, of course, because yeah. it's not just a Grand Prix like in Formula 1. <laughs> you get three championships, three race. Moto2, which always tends to be the tamest of the three. Um, again, they worry about tyres. Pedro Costa, having got by Aaron Canet early on, the championship leader, uh, increased his lead even further by winning. Uh, Lydia Spanish, one, two, three. Cane second and Fermin Aldegur third. Uh, Jake Dixon nicked fourth place in the last lap. So waving the flag for Britain, Jake. I'm not sure what happened. I think Sam Lowe's was maybe ninth, tenth. Didn't read. Forgot to check him. Um, but the main thing about Moto2 is they sound, they're the greatest sounding motorsport engine noise of any, any other sport in the world. You can listen to Moto2 just for the sound of those triumph triples. I think they're triples. Technical is not my strong subject. <laughs> not more um, than me. So Moto2, yeah, not the most exciting races. But it was close. Again, it was close, but not spectacular. But the Moto3, mayhem. So the Moto3, we've got this amazing championship building up. There's still five races to go. Talk about MotoGP and all these championships. There's still five more races. There's plenty of points to be won. Um, and we've got these poor Japanese guys sandwiched between two Spanish boys. Uh, Ayuma Sasaki is the Japanese boys. Three of them, nine points apart. Um, and it was the uh, Spanish guy, Hiemi Masia, was leading. And the third place was um, Daniel Holgado, who had actually walked away with the championship early on, got a big lead, but he's dropped back, dropped back. So the three of them were the big three stars of Moto3 at the moment, as, long, as well as this Colombian sensation we've talked about, uh, David Alonso who's a 19-year-old who started winning from nowhere in his rookie season. So those four riders are really the stars of Moto3 at the moment. Um, but with this championship building up, Sasaki dropped it on the, on the green flag, on the outlap. Not even the green flag lap. He dropped on the outlap to go to the grid. Um, and he was, they were having his leathers were being patched up. Jake Dixon was lending him some gloves. The mechanics were rebuilding the bike. All drama on the grid. Just, 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 just asking for a friend here, hypothetically speaking, is that worse than crashing a car on a um, parade up no, Goodwood Hill? No, no, no. no, 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 no. So, <laughs> so, Suzaki had a miserable race. He, did, he dropped backwards. He was only about 11th of the grid, I think. Dropped backwards, got no points at all. So then you think the other two will then get loads of points. But instead, up front, there was this manic race. 
And around this track, for some reason, some tracks seem to feed lunacy. And the riders were just diving up inside. They'd go into the turn and just apparently sort of come off. Neil Hodgson talked about it really well again after the race. That's a good insight. But these kids, they sort of see a race break. They just come off the brakes for a bit. So they surge past about three of them. And they just try and barge back in. They hit shoulder to shoulder, bike to bike. Um, and two of the biggest culprits, who ended up, in fact, second and third at the end, uh, were the aforementioned David Alonso. And this guy called David Munoz, who's another, who's got a bit of reputation for being wild. And they were just doing each other from corner to corner. Somehow came through <laughs> to finish second and third. But poor old Messiah, who'd um, led for a while, I think, but soon looked like he was getting loads of points. He got pushed to the back. Holgado got pushed to the back, and then he did, he did a green, overtook on the inside, got a penalty going down the, um, the the long lope, but didn't take it and took a penalty of three seconds at the end, which dropped him from ninth to 16th and no points. So it was chaos. Um, but, you know, Neil was talking after the race that, he does, you know, Maybe the best ride didn't win, and because it's just who barged best and who who was lucky and got away with it when some loony comes up the inside. It was sort of like Russian roulette. Because in fact, the winner out of the blue uh, who qualified, where have they got his name somewhere? A Brazilian guy. His first win, Diego Moreira. Moreira won. I'm not sure where he's on the grid, but he was about tenth or something. Because qualifying didn't really matter where you qualified in that race. It's just how well you survived the argy bargy. And it was too much, according to Neil. And they talk about giving a bit more power to Motor 3 so that the talent can shine a bit more and the, um, the the crazy guys maybe can't quite keep up. So it was entertaining, of course, um, to the outsider. But then Neil's upset if you know, the talent isn't winning, then it's the wrong result for him. So that was, it was interesting well, stuff. You say that's entertaining. Now we are moving to British Superbikes. And it was well, between... Quick mate, no, not, not, oh. Scott Ogden. Got to mention our Brits. Okay. Don't forget, we're always championing the Brits. Well, absolutely. Well, I bet Scott Ogden wishes we didn't champion him because <laughs> he qualified swiftly and crashed again. Josh Watley qualified 18th and finished 22nd. Oh, it's a shame. I keep on hoping that they'll have a good weekend. Now, what were you saying back in the UK? I was saying, back in the UK, it was the final British Superbikes. I mean, bear in mind, we are going into the final weekend of the year and there's nothing between it. There's a there's a cigarette paper between them. You've got Tommy Bridewell and uh, Glenn Irwin. Yeah, Glenn Irwin. Um, and, well, you could, you could talk us through it, but I will say it finished, the whole season finished less than half a point between them. But which way <laughs> did it go, Tiff Nadell? It was so tight. Well, it's I mean, unbelievable. It Brian Patch, I love I mean, it. You know, right? Yeah, because we had the touring cars there a week ago. Best circuit in Britain, you know, for beautiful track, great race track. And now we're the bikes there. And then in two um, weeks' time, what's there? The most important out of the three? Uh, the KA race, which exactly. featuring Paul Woodman in a yeah. KA. In in the Race Logic V-Box KA. Yeah. I'll be I'll be opening my birthday presents on that day. <laughs> um yeah, it was a hell of a week because, of course, at Donington, these two beer monster Ducati boys were bashing into each other and falling off and breaking down. A very controversial weekend. So every, every the, the tension was high and the qualifying was in the wet and Tommy, but they weren't going very well either of them. But uh, Glenn Irwin had technical problems and only got out at the end and didn't set a time. So Brian lined up seventh for race one on the Saturday, of course. This was the day before we're talking about. And Irwin was 17th. Um, but an incredible ride from Irwin. Irwin really was the pace all weekend. He had to be, because he had to, Brian had about a nine-point lead, I think eight-point lead after the Donington fiascos. 
Um, and the first race on the Saturday was a drying line, which on a car you don't worry too much about because the drying line becomes quite wide quite quickly. Yeah. On the bikes, the, you know, going down to Hawth <laughs> Hawthorne's corner at the end of the back straight, and the line was about as wide as two feet, and you had to go through there at 100 miles an hour, not go oh. six inches out. I don't know. So, do and Irwin somehow got from 17th up to fourth behind Bridewell, who's third. Um, the competition all weekend actually was really between the two Ducatis and the two um, Yamahas of O'Halloran and um, who was the other one? Kyle Ryan. Kyle Ryan was in with a chance of winning the title still. So it was a four bike weekend on the pace. Uh, and Carl Ryan won that first race ahead of Jason O'Halloran. And then these two beer monsters were going hammer and tongs um, on this track that was this wide. And Irwin had a, had a dive going just uh, got past, got the third place, but then ran wide and Bywell came back past again. Everyone's breathing a breath thinking they're going to hit each other. So anyway, so um, that in that way, the, the Tommy extended his lead slightly on the Saturday in that first race. So come Sunday, unfortunately, away, um, we just knew that if he finished behind, right behind Irwin in the two races, he would be champion. But it wasn't that simple because the Yamaha boys was in there mixing it up, especially Carl Ride. Um, and race two, actually, Irwin got the win, got to the front. Um, O'Halloran didn't help him because O'Halloran crashed out. So Brianwell cruised up behind him and finished second, which is what Irwin didn't want. He wanted the Yamahas to get between them. And that's what happened in the final race. This is what made the final race just so tense. Because uh, O'Halloran had crashed his bike and he dropped back in the third race. I'm not even sure what happened to him. I mean, and the big shunt in that race too. So Kyle Rye was out there mixing with these two. Rye just wanted to win the race. And he was leading for a bit. And then Irwin got the front. And it just got silly because the points were coming up um, quite rightly every lap. And I think when Irwin got to the front, with Ride second and Bridewell third, meant that Irwin would win the championship by two and a half points. But if Bridewell got past uh, um, Ride, it was so tense. He'd lose it by half a point. And literally, I think I think Ride was leading. I can't remember. It was always the blur. I was on the edge of my seat. Um, I think Ride um, Irwin just took the lead into Sterling's with about one lap to go. And so now, all of a sudden, Bridewell thought he had the champion. Now Bridewell had to get by Ride. On the last lap to yeah. make to make those two points, I and mean, he did it up at Druids Barge one. It was just so. I mean, Bridewell, you know, perhaps deserved it, but Irwin was really the the driver of the rider of the day in terms of speed, and the fact that he came through from so far back in race one was amazing. Can you imagine and, um, having a whole season with two or three races a weekend, and because uh, it is and 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 finishing half a point yeah. behind. Oh my goodness. Incredible. And of course, a great weekend, you know, because there's five other championships, I think, you know, on that weekend. Yeah. We won and lost. So, well, four other championships. We were kind of invited, but you were away and I was away. So, um, but next year, look forward to, I, I want to go to much more yeah. BSB. That's really, really good racing. Yeah. What a championship. Big crowd there. Big crowd. It looked a bigger crowd than Touring Cars, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't know the actual numbers, but the banks, yeah. the, it, it looked full. Wow. Well, it's a, it's a huge following, isn't it, the bike uh, fraternity? Will any of those people go to um, MotoGP next year? No, they tend to, they go to World Superbikes, then they struggle. You know, we've got mm. last year's champion out of the world because the bikes are so different. Um, the UK bikes don't have any of the traction controls and all the fancy scientific stuff, uh, whereas the World Superbikes do. And for a rider that's just a natural rider, suddenly he's, he's not natural anymore. He has to learn how to use tractions and 
gadgets and whatever they have, anti-stalls and anti-wheelie and all that stuff. So they, they find it hard to transition to world superbikes, which seems a bit of a shame. But um, that's where technology, you see, technology takes away talent. Flipping well, it technology. take it away, but I know what you mean. I know, I know, you, we've all become a bit soft. We, we... Well, yeah, well, an average technology helps the very good driver equal a brilliant driver. Yeah. You've got to learn how to use the, te- the technology. And it's not always easy to adapt to technology. Good. Right, let's go to probably not Back the, most America. Technical, the most technical race series in the world, NASCAR. Yeah. But, it, but let's go to Vegas, baby. I mean, it was. It, uh, I have to talk about another sport very briefly here because uh, the Needell family had a Vegas sweep. What a night for the Needell family <laughs> because there's a certain American football team that the Nidell family, mainly Harry Nidell, has been promoting. No, the Raiders, of oh, course. Raiders. The Raiders, who are at Vegas. That's their LA new home. Raiders. They're now the Las Vegas Raiders, not oh, the LA Raiders. Wow. They were LA, and then they were, what's that other town they've changed to in the middle, north of LA, where they moved for eight years. We'll forget the name of town. They're now the Las Vegas And they had a very tense win. Henderson, so the Raiders won. Palm Springs? Oh, I don't know. No. Anyway, forget that for a minute. Um, and then, of course, in the NASCAR, going on at the same time in Las Vegas. But what would Nidells would have done if we'd been on a holiday in Vegas that week? I don't know what we'd have watched. The wife would have been watching a deli. The wife would have been a Dell. I would have been at the NASCAR. And Harry would have probably been at the American football. But then, of course, in the NASCAR, the number five, Kyle Larson, dominated. Absolutely. Was just on the pace the whole weekend. Um, and of course, this was the first. We needed to as well. That, well, it cuts. Now, this is back yeah. to points rule level uh, that cuts it from eight down to four. But now he's won in Vegas. He's through. Yeah. So, last takes the pressure in, off. The last four pressure off. It wasn't that exciting, right? He actually nearly binned it because again, Larson's his biggest self-critic, and he makes mistakes. And he always on interviews, he says, "Oh, I, make, oh, I can't make mistakes." The team and my. And he, he got wide, got big oversteer at 160 miles an hour or something. And he kissed the wall with a tail, which normally means the front will come round and smack the wall. But he lit up the rears. I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how they're doing at that speed so close. Massively sideways, touched the wall and got it straight. And he lost about five places because he flat spotted, damaged the tyres. And So there was a, a big moment in his old family holding their breaths. He's soon back at the head of the field, and there was no yellows at the end. That terrible when you do the last yeah. twenty laps, you know you're terrified. Some back marker will break down. You have to do a restart. Uh, but there was no restart. And Kyle Larson is through to the final four, much to relief. So again, there wasn't much. A lot of tires exploded. You know, the Formula One when they got terrified of a bit of puncture. And if they have one puncture, the Formula One drivers we won't race until Pirelli changes the tires. You know. It's just a part of life in NASCAR. All, all of the five or six shunts with thanks to a tire, tires going down, right rear tire popping. So, um, yeah, good, good end to the weekend for the New Dells. Yeah, Raiders. Good. And what's coming up next week, Tiff? Well, the Formula One, we're back with Formula One to the Circuit of America. It's a track I quite enjoy. That's, that's you know, I, I think the silly first turns are too many of them. Very, the drivers love it, but again, a lot of G force, all those corners. Um, because there's only really one or two overtaking spots again. I suppose that's all right, two. So this has got two. End of the what? start, finish straight. and the end Who, of the are, we gonna see, who are we going to see in the pit lane before? Who's Brundle going to do his uh, chats to? There's going to be all sorts of celebrities Oh, there. yeah, the celebrities will be there. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of... Who's coming back? I think we've got Taylor Poor Share and FP1 and the Alfa Romeo. Oh, they've got Antonio Giovinazzi. 
in the house. So what's the point of that? Uh, (laughs) Because teams have to run, you know, these reserve drivers and they have to run a a novice. And I think um, coming back in Mexico is going to be that Fittipaldi boy that turns up every time. It's Hassie's official reverse. Yeah, I'm I'm doing the Ford KA uh, endurance stick. uh, You can't be there, novice. Um, but of course, the good news is that Ollie Behrman's going to be out in Mexico in a, in a Haas. Not in a Haas. Yes, in a Haas. Um, the other thing, of course, going on in the um, circuit of the Americas is um, the FIA Academy. The women are out there for the final race. It's been a long time since they finished their championship. So they've got three races over the weekend. Um, so hopefully Abby Pulling will finally get a win. We've been waiting all year. Our British girl that was doing so well had a terrible season. She did so well in W Series. I know. It's been dominated by the Spanish girl, Marta Garcia. Garcia. But now there's three more races for uh, Abby Pulling, hopefully, maybe to have a win. Uh, then MotoGP go to the magnificent, magnificent Phillip Island circuit in Australia. Um, it's quite fun. I was looking on the map of Phillip Island. It's just below Melbourne. And it's about the size of the Isle of Wight. It looks about Isle of Wight size. And in the middle of the north, the biggest town is, of course, named Isle of Wight. Are you there? North, biggest oh, town. Cows. 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 It is. Oh, wow. It's called Cows. So uh, they're on Phillip Island, Moto, Moto GP. Great. Really looking forward to that. Moto 3 would be spectacular. Big slip streaming circuit. That is fantastic to watch. Um, uh, British GT at home, Donington, the British GT finale to see who's going to win that. Uh, that should be spectacular. So if you want to go and watch some fabulous GT racing, Donington is the place to be. And NASCAR have the second of the three races to decide the final four at Homestead. Another one and a half mile oval. Lovely. So if you've listened this long, thank you very much. Uh, Leave a comment below and let us know what the best F1 circuit is to race in your opinion. So because the best racing. I'll think about this. We can talk about this another time as well. Okay. Good thanks idea. For, thanks for listening, watching, and tell some we'll... friends to subscribe, will you? For goodness' sake. <laughs> we need some views. <laughs> See you next week. Cheers. Bye.